Well, the year was 1685, and a large crowd had gathered on a beach in Scotland. There were soldiers there of the king's army, and they hammered a pole into the beach at low tide, one close to the water, and they put in another pole about 20 yards back away from the water. Margaret McLaughlin, a widow of 70 years old, was bound to the first pole, close to the water, as the tide would come in. An 18-year-old, a woman named Margaret Wilson, was attached to the second pole, the one about 20 yards back. Now, what was their crime? What did they do that would warrant such a terrible manner of death? These two women are what we know as Scottish Covenanters. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, Scottish Covenanters. They are our ancestors in the faith. They swore a solemn oath and covenant. They signed a covenant that they would not have their conscience bound by the Church of England and by the King of England. Their conscience was bound by the Word of God, and they felt called to worship Him freely. They were Presbyterians. Well, the crown viewed this as treason. And so they were going to be given one final opportunity to repent and recant and come back under the Church of England. Well, the women would not. They sang hymns. They recited scripture. The 18-year-old woman, Margaret Wilson, watched as her older friend, the widow of 70-year-old, 70 years old named Margaret McLaughlin, you know, sang and prayed as the waters came up higher and higher and higher and higher, had to watch her drown. Then the soldiers came to Margaret Wilson to ask her, are you ready to repent? Are you ready to recant? She also said no, recited scripture, sang and prayed and gave her life for what she believed. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be there to watch that. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be one of those Margarets to suffer martyrdom and persecution for their faith. Well, that's, in a sense, the context of the book of Jeremiah. As we look at a variety of prophets, as we get ready for the season of Advent, the prophet Jeremiah was called by God to preach and to teach and to call the people of Judah and Jerusalem, to repentance. But he was opposed, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, and he was tortured for what he believed. All he was trying to do is call God's people to repentance to avert a disaster that we can't even fathom in terms of its enormity and magnitude, and the people would not listen. That's the context of the book of Jeremiah. We're going to look at a couple different sections today. Please stand for the reading of God's word. As we prepare our hearts for Advent, all of these prophetic books are setting the stage 
for the need and the necessity of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The future for the people of Israel was growing dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and a great darkness was descending over Judah and Jerusalem. This is the Lord speaking here in Jeremiah 19, verses 4 and 5. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. The Lord says through Jeremiah, For they, meaning the people of Judah, they have forsaken me, and they've made this place like the land of Judah, and specifically Jerusalem. They've made this place a place of foreign gods, they have burned incense in it to gods that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. It's inconceivable. Then he tells Jeremiah, break the jar of clay, this clay pot, while those who go with you are watching these religious officials that opposed him. Say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. Now going to Jeremiah 20, verses 1 through 4. When the priest Pasher, son of Emmer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, so notice the irony here, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, the official charged with guarding the worship of God's people, when he heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, meaning calling the people to humility and repentance, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, the Lord's name for you now is not Pasher, but terror on every side. For this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, because with your own eyes, you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. I will give all Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah says in verse 7, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I, I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. In other words, that's the message that you've called me to preach now. So the word of the Lord, it has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not do this anymore, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like, like fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Denounce Jeremiah. Let's denounce him. 
All my friends are waiting for me to slip up, saying, perhaps Jeremiah will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Now go to verse 14. Cursed be the day that I was born. It's hard to believe a prophet is making this kind of confession. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made my father very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man who brought that news be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow in my days to end in shame? Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. I don't know that there's more vivid, evocative, visceral passage anywhere in the Bible than we see surrounding the affairs of Judah and Jerusalem in the late, or I guess early 500s BC. I will give you an abbreviated historical context. I know repetition is the key to learning, but perhaps even I can do it too much. One date before the next date, the first date, 722 AD is when the Assyrians came in and laid waste to the northern kingdom of the Jews because they would not repent, they would not trust in the Lord, they would not turn back from their idolatry. God raised up Assyria to destroy the northern kingdom. If you were here last week, what was the hope and prayer regarding the southern kingdom, regarding Judah and Jerusalem? What was the hope and prayer? That they would heed the lesson that the Lord meted out in the northern kingdom of Israel, that they would use that as an object lesson, that they would respond, that they would trust in the Lord and repent. But alas, they did not. They doubled down on their sin. They did not learn from their brother nation to the north, and they continued in their idolatry. And so, around 586 B.C., not the Assyrians this time, who was it? the dreaded Babylonians God raised up to invade and lay waste to Judah and Jerusalem. God raised up Jeremiah as the herald, as the watchman, as the prophet of the living God to warn the impending doom to come. God was giving Judah and Jerusalem one more chance. If they would repent of their idolatry, if they would trust in him, then he would care for them, protect them, provide for them, but they would not. Reminds me of Jesus when he wept over Jerusalem and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wings. You know, like a hen gathers her chicks. I longed to gather you and protect you, but you were not willing. That's the context in a sense of Jeremiah. Let's look at verse 19, verses 4 and 5. This is the Lord describing the nature 
of the sin of Judah, and it is breathtaking in its um, cruelty and how evil it is. It's hard to believe. These were Jews. These were the people that had come through the Exodus event who enjoyed the Passover. Look at what they had done. God says through Jeremiah, for they, the people, they've forsaken me. They've made this place, my holy place, a, far, a place of foreign gods. They have burned incense in it to gods, probably in the holy area, in the Temple Mount area, that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. Nothing like this had happened before. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. You know, archaeologists have found over in this area of the world ancient pagan ruins where they found the bones, ancient bones of children still on these altars. In their excavation, it is horrible beyond belief. And this is what the Jews were doing, circa 586 B.C. God had sent a famine in the land to get the attention of his people, similar to Elijah. The land was suffering, suffering terribly, but instead of repenting and turning to the Lord, this is what the Jews in Jerusalem and Judah did. They sought to placate Canaanite gods. They sought refuge and relief from Baal. They engaged in the worst sin of all in the context of the ancient Near East. They committed the sin of child sacrifice. This is the people of God that had been delivered from the clutches of Pharaoh and it had come to this. And so Jeremiah was called to speak into this and to lean into this and to preach in this context. Look at verses 10 and 11. God has asked Jeremiah, called Jeremiah to act out a parable. So he gets a clay pot. Verse 10, then he tells Jeremiah, break the jar, break this pot while those who go with you, these religious officials, while those who go with you are watching and say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. This was intended to be a living, vivid illustration and embodiment of what was coming to the southern land of the Jews. You know, often, if you're like me, you want people to tell you what you want to hear. And that's what the people of Jeremiah's day wanted. They wanted Jeremiah to tell him, or for Jeremiah to tell them what they wanted to hear. Like Jeremiah said, you know, these prophets call out, peace, peace, when there is no peace. These, these prophets who are unfaithful are saying, everything's fine, Jeremiah is overreacting. Jeremiah was not overreacting. 
We want people to tell us what we want to hear. I remember a number of years ago, many, many years ago, over 20 years ago now when I was the campus minister at SMU and I was talking with this student, this young man who was um, at variance with his significant other and um, he had done something that he regretted something. Now I know all my RUF people, you're not going to know who this person is. You may, but act like you don't, okay? And so I was, I was sitting down having lunch with this individual. I was trying to encourage him in the right thing to do, and he was, he was argumentative, he was obtuse, and we kept going back and forth, and he actually said this. He said, D-Ray, I just want you to tell me what I want to hear. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm so sorry. I've got to speak truth to you. And so for years, we've laughed about that, D-Ray, I just want you to tell me what I want to hear. We've all felt this way, right? That's what's happening here. The religious officials are mad at Jeremiah because he won't tell them what they want to hear. Look with me at chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. When the priest Pasher, son of Emmer, the official in charge of the temple, when he heard Jeremiah prophesying these words, okay, he put a stop to it. He had Jeremiah, the prophet, beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. This would be almost like a form of crucifixion slash humiliation in Jeremiah's day. You know what stocks are. It's like a big wooden rectangle, and there were two holes for your hands to go through, and there would be a hole for your head to go through, and sometimes holes and places for your feet, and they would put you in an incredibly uncomfortable position and give you about 24 hours to consider what you were doing and saying. It was a form of torture. It was a form of public humiliation and disgrace. Where does the text say they did this? Did they do this, do this in a private place? An out-of-the-way place? No, they did not. Verse 2 of chapter 20, he had Jeremiah beaten first. I can only imagine what that involved. And then put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Jeremiah was put on display. And by putting him on display, what did Pasher hope that would communicate? What do you think they wanted to communicate? that this person's message is invalid. If this man was really from the Lord, do you think the Lord would allow us to do this to him, to mock him, to ridicule him? This shows that Jeremiah is full of hot air and motivate Jeremiah to stop. Look at verses three and four. The next day when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, you know, he had given Jeremiah 24 hours to think better of what he was saying. Jeremiah said to him, the Lord's name for you is not Pasher, but terror on every side. So Jeremiah was only more firm in his resolve. He said to Pasher, okay, you've got a new name. Terror on every side. In other words, terror is going to be at your every side. Everywhere you go, Pasher, terror is going to follow. Look at verse 4. 
For this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. The language there is kind of difficult, but he is going to experience terror. Notice what the Lord says, with your own eyes, Pasher, you will see your friends fall by the sword of their enemies. I will give all Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon. And friends, when the Babylonians came in and swept through the southern kingdom and destroyed the temple, we heard about this last week in the book of Obadiah, this was prophecy coming true. There was terror on every side, and it was awful beyond belief. Now what's interesting here is you get to see the humanity of Jeremiah, that he was a person just like you and me. It's become evident, it's going to become evident that Jeremiah grew up with these people. These weren't people that he was unfamiliar with. The people that were rejecting him, that were ostracizing him, that were putting him at the margin, these were his friends. These were people he knew. Look at verses 7 through 10. It, it, it almost feels sinful and perhaps even was when we get access to Jeremiah's heart. These are called the confessions of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, oh Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. In other words, like I keep saying these things and nothing bad happens and everything seems fine and they ridicule me and put me on public display and nothing that I say comes true. I'm looked at as a joke. Verse 8, whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. In other words, I'm not, I'm not telling people what they want to hear. I'm not, I'm not like the Joel Osteen of Jerusalem. Okay, I'm speaking judgment. I'm telling them the truth about what's happening. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. There's a wonderful book that many ministers um, are drawn to. Those ministers um, of us who are in the room today are probably familiar with um, Paul Tripp's book called A Dangerous Calling. And so he calls the call to gospel ministry a dangerous calling. Because in gospel ministry, and not only gospel ministry, but lay ministry, there are times we have to speak the truth in love and it is not received well. I mean, we're getting ready to come up on Thanksgiving, a, a notorious holiday, which is wonderful in many ways. We get rest, we get to relax, but we're also around friends and family who may not know the gospel, who have chosen different lifestyles, who have a different worldview. You know, when you spend four hours on the couch talking with family members, perhaps invariably things come up um, that may be uh, matters of contention and you're viewed to be um, very extreme and intolerant. You're viewed to be kind of a fundamentalist Christian, if you were, and that never feels good. 
Look at verse 9. The temptation for Jeremiah was to just, just to be quiet, to just stop. Okay, to don't do it anymore. I'm done with this. I'm going to go. Any illustration I give of a dead-end job may not be good, but just, you know, I'll go do whatever. Anything but this. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. That's Jeremiah's um, response to all this. Like, in many ways, he wished he had never been born. He was suffering terribly. But the word of God in him was like a fire. He could not help but share the things he had seen and heard. It's like the apostles who were commanded in the book of Acts not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus lest they suffer persecution and death. And what do the disciples say? We can't help but tell of the things that we have seen and heard. It's like we can't stop it. May we all be like this. Verse 10, I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. I would say that book, A Dangerous Calling, it's not just true for ministers. It's true for everyone. Um, everyone experiences this to one degree or another. If you know the Lord your God, if you love the Lord Jesus, there will be times in your life where you feel like this world is not my home. I don't feel comfortable here. I don't feel safe here. Okay? And that's a very normal byproduct of being a Christian. Jesus said, you know, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. No servant is greater than his master. We're all gonna experience this to some degree. Have you ever felt alone in your faith? Or have you ever felt misunderstood just in general? Like no one understands you. Um, Wrong things are being imputed to you. If you've ever felt like that, if you feel like that now, let me tell you. Jeremiah knows how you feel. The Lord Jesus knows how you feel. His very best friends abandoned him. He said, couldn't you stay awake with me for what? For just one hour. And yet, you could not. I remember getting a glimpse of this early in my Christian life. I was doing uh, an internship at a church after graduating from college. I was doing an internship in youth ministry. I volunteered with Young Life. I volunteered to be an assistant coach with the tennis team at a local high school. It went very well. I made friends with the guys, and um, I would go hit with them for fun and for free um, to help their game and to build relationship. And I remember one time going to these courts to hit with this young man named Matt, Matt Lucas, and um, after we finished hitting, went to the shop, the pro was in there who was Matt's main teaching professional, and we were talking in there, and then Matt left, and I was talking with the head pro named Dave, and he said, what were you doing out there? I said, I was just hitting with Matt. He said, why would you hit with him here? 
And I said, well, it was just a ministry opportunity. I wasn't charging him. I was just befriending him. It was a ministry opportunity. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, well, go do your ministry opportunity somewhere else. I thought he might be understanding because, you know, I was trying to minister the love of God in Jesus Christ with this young man, and he didn't care. I can remember at SMU when a young man came to Christ, his family was so upset, and his father in particular, his father called the president of SMU to try to get us kicked off campus. I know that we live in the Bible Belt, but, but more and more, you know, um, Christians are going to be um, at the margins of society. And as that happens, know you're never alone. The prophets of God and the Lord Jesus Christ know how you feel. Now go to panel six and we'll land the plane. So, you know, Advent is one of the most wonderful times of year for so many reasons, but you, you can't appreciate the good news. You can't appreciate the beauty, the wonder, the significance of Advent unless you first internalize and understand the bad news, the darkness, the hopelessness. That's the book of Jeremiah. The Babylonians are coming and they are going to destroy our way of life and our worship. But out of the darkness, beloved, comes the light. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. What was one of Jesus' favorite um, appellations? What was one of his favorite self-designations? He viewed himself as what? A shepherd. The good shepherd, the true shepherd was coming. Look at verse 2. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people, because you have scattered my flock. Because of their terrible ministry, you know, the Assyrians and the Babylonians were going to take hundreds of thousands of Jews into captivity all over Mesopotamia. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil that you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture. This is like Psalm 23 in its fulfillment, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them. Do you understand that your session, the ministers at this church, are the fulfillment of this? All of us are under shepherds under the chief shepherd called to love you and serve you and give our lives for you. Verse four, I will place shepherds over them who will tend to them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Imagine in your mind's eye, the metaphor here is like an area that has been logged 
and has been clear-cutted. If you've ever seen pictures like that in like Washington or Oregon and your heart weeps, this amazing forest that's just been cut to the ground, raised to the ground, that's the picture of Israel after the Babylonians swept through. But all is not lost. Look at verse five. I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That Hebrew word could mean a sprout, a shoot. A green shoot will one day emerge from this forest that has been laid waste to, and a new forest is coming. And a new tree will rise up, of which we are all part. A king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This was written almost 600 years before the birth of Jesus. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord Yahweh, our righteous Savior. That's his name. That's what will come from the line of David, this shoot, this little green shoot that seems insignificant and vulnerable and frail, and it will grow up into the most amazing tree of which we are all grafted in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does this tell you if you're feeling alone? What does this tell you if you feel at the margins? What does this tell you if you feel misunderstood? You are not misunderstood and you are never alone. You have the son of David, the one whose name is the Lord, our righteous Savior, who is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He gets you. He understands you. He is with you. Isn't it amazing? Just how much the book of Jeremiah relates to here and now. It's just amazing, like we say week after week, how all the parts fit with the whole, how all the parts, the Old Testament looks forward, the New Testament looks back at this tree, at this shoot, the son of David. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, it really is amazing when we look back with gospel eyes. It is stunning when we retrospectively look back at this text, how out of the darkness and the hopelessness of judgment and disarray came the righteous branch, the son of David, a tender shoot who grew up and through his rejection saved a scattered people to bring them home to his wonderful meadow inside his pen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jeremiah. Lord, we can relate to his confessions. I dare say that all of us or most of us have felt this way at points. We've felt misunderstood, marginalized, hopeless, there have been so many times, Lord, that, that a number of us have, have truly wished that we had never been born because of the difficulty that we are experiencing, because of the darkness we're overwhelmed by. Heavenly Father, help us to see 
the light of the gospel in Jesus Christ in the midst of the darkness. Help us to understand that in Christ, this righteous shoot and branch, you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. Father, help our hearts and minds anticipate the birth of Jesus Christ, we pray in his matchless name. Amen.